0: How many of you were raised in an imperfect family? (laughs) If you don't raise your hand, I I don't know what planet you came from because you didn't come to... You know, we're we're about ready to jump into a two-month series about family, men, women, children, husbands, wives, marriage, work, broad spectrum, and it's going to be a, a... a, a task that one is not gonna be easy on, on just the, the series, but on us as well. We'll get more into this a little bit later. But but it's important that we realize that we are set up as families. How many of you have done the DNA testing? How many of you sent your DNA off? Isn't that fascinating? I've not done it, but I just think it's fascinating. Anybody, real quick, anybody found I don't have really time to ask this, but anybody find anything interesting? <laughs> Everybody someone yes, yeah, some are no. Yeah. I, I know I don't I've never not sent that off, but my family has done like genealogies all the way back to Germany. I know I'm I have a lot of German blood in me, and uh, that's where I come from. But in that journey of my lineage, they have found a few famous families and people and individuals. You probably have your own stories. After church, share them amongst yourselves at the dinner table. But for mine, is one of them is Edgar Allan Poe. I am re- related directly to him. Do not hold that against me, and do not look him up on Wikipedia. Uh, he wrote some crazy stuff. It came from a crazy mind and a crazy heart. And so anyway, uh, yes, I, you know, we're all related to somebody. So that's Edgar Allen Poe. And the other, other part of the family I'm related to are the McCoys. <laughs> are there any Hatfields here? <laughs> Just asking. Just asking, just watching out. So there's the doors. No, I'm joking. Uh, for the younger generations, going, what's the big deal, of Hatfield-McCoys? Talk to your parents about that. I'll let you explain that as well. Um, but yeah, I'm a part of the McCoy clan from my grandmother's side, so it's pretty good. But Jesus, oh never mind. I Won't go anymore about that. I Man, is this family tree that we think about our lineage, where we came from, the long line of families that um, and people that that influenced another generation, influenced another generation, and now. It's our turn. It's our time. It's your time. It's my time. You know, the, the tree itself is an incredible thing. We're seeing it bloom all around us as spring engages, and all of a sudden you go to bed at night and there's just sticks in your backyard with nothing green, and you wake up the next day and all of a sudden there's just greenery everywhere. It's amazing. But what makes that amazing is it takes more than just a leaf and make it beautiful, it takes a leaf, it takes a seed, it takes a limb. It takes a branch, it takes a trunk, it takes roots, all to work in conjunction in order for a tree to be healthy. It's no different in the family. Every individual, husband, wife, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, cousins, brothers, sisters, siblings, family unit, to be healthy requires all of us, all of us to intentionally engage and a God has created us to be the people He designs us and desires for us to be in the midst of our imperfection. We will never create the perfect family. We will never be the perfect husband and wife. We will never be the perfect grandparents. We're not pursuing perfection, we're pursuing Christ in our families, as men and as women. And in that, we can kind of breathe in the midst of this series. In the midst of learning and discovering more of what God calls us to be as men and women. And as we begin this morning to to, to take a look at some of these roots. Because the root of the tree is founded in God himself. But the roots themselves really settle in on us as male and female. We know nothing but the family unit. It's all we've ever known. Mom and dad. And it is this this root of manlyhood and what a woman looks like. And, And it's confusing in our world today. We'll talk more about that. And so that today we're going to be getting to this sermon on manhood and next week on womanhood. But today it begins with just a better understanding as we start this series. And it really begins with this idea that where God created us. This is what we believe. We believe that God created us in his image in Genesis. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 1 and later on in chapter 2. Look it up on your phone, whatever device you find uh, God's word in to read. And we're going to start by looking at Genesis 1, verses 27. Thanks for opening. I love hearing pages turn. Follow along with me on the screen or in your word in your hand. So listen. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. God created mankind us. He created humanity. He created mankind. But we live in a world that believes that each individual has the right to define who they are on their own, independently. And you can't tell me any different, because I get to define who I am. I get to define who who I become. And nobody else has a right to question my own personal self-identification. But we believe that if God created us, if I believe God created us, and I know this to be true... Then we're not our own. And this is something we have to wrestle with. I'm not my own. So, my definition of who I am is not defined by who I think I am or a world who wants to tell me who I am, but it's by the one who created me. A toaster is a toaster because the one who, defi- who created a toaster called it a toaster and it's made to make toast. Our creator designed us, he knows us, he breathed into us, he gave us his own image and implanted that upon him and that we have a reflection of who he is in our own personage, whether we are male or whether we are female. And that is important for us to begin with today. He made us, he designed us, he loved us, he died that we may be redeemed fully and we are not ourselves. So really this whole concept of man, woman, husband, wife, family, children, what we're called to be and are, it really comes and begins with surrender this morning. And that's not easy for us to do. We want to fight for identity. We want to fight for those things of who we are. And it begins with us realizing that we lay that down and say, God, reveal to me who you've made me to be in your image and not who, who I may pursue and try to be. But notice this. God created us. There's more to this. Genesis 1:27 goes on. He says, "So he created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them." Notice here, male and female. He created both of them. He designed both of them, both of them in his image, both of them with great value, great, both of them with importance. But this world wants to tell us, no matter that, that, that there are so many different gender roles. So many definitions of what a male may be or may not be, or a woman may not may be or may not be, and it's this and that, and it could be a mixture of this and that, and they try to write all kinds of definitions, and they can come up with 100 definitions, but God said this when he created us: There are two, two and only two, male and female, and it's in that, it's in that pursuit that there's this love and that there's this grace that God has given to us in our struggles with an obsession in our culture today over identity, and God goes, "It's simple. I've created you. I love you, I know you." And a male and female." Now, now understand this. men were not identical, and all God's people said, "Amen, Amen right? Isn't it great? I'm glad God didn't go, "Let there be male. Man, that would be a horrible world to live in, right, guys? And ladies, you got to admit, I know there's times you wish we weren't on the planet. I know that. I know that. But a world of all women, right? You'd be, no, 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 it's not good either. We have a lot of similarities and we have a lot of distinctive blessings and differences. And that's important for us to understand. Both of equal value. Those distinctions don't mean one is better than the other or one has a higher value in the eyes of God than the other. Not at all. A matter of fact, that in that distinctiveness in creation and how he created us is fitting to the roles he calls us to play. There are distinctive roles that God calls males to play. There's distinctive roles that God calls women to play, and it's, and it's okay to embrace that. It's a good thing. And both we are both made in the image of God, and therefore because God is spiritual. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but your gender is spiritual. It's a part of your spirituality. You cannot separate that out as if it's a separate part of me of being male and being a follower of Jesus are two separate things. No, it's not. They are, they are connected, they are intertwined, and they cannot be separated. And yet there's also something to be praised about being male. There's something to be praised about being a woman. They're both wonderful things. But our culture today wants to make us believe that basically we want to get to the point where there is no such thing as gender. There is no such thing as male. There is no such thing as female. And basically trying to say God made a mistake in making us male and female. And the reality is he didn't. Because he designed us with a great purpose. And that's to be celebrated today. That's to be to be embraced today. Because otherwise we, we, we become we become lost of who we are. And, and not only that, but even in a sense of that we can become we can become competitive. You know what I'm saying? That that when when a man and, and we, we try to be each other, and all of a sudden we we start realizing we, we, we want what someone else has, and in doing so We create battle lines. And there's something to be celebrated in just who God designed us to be as men and as women, and not to be apologetic for that in our world today. But understand this our our culture does need biblical truth, because this is about our culture. It, it, It needs something, because something about the Word of God does for us, it gives us a place to stand that doesn't move in a culture that's fluid. I mean, it's constantly changing. And if we look, whatever generations now, if you're looking, if you're not looking to the Word of God, if you're looking to the culture of the world to define what a man is or what a woman is, then you're trying to hit a moving target. Uh, For instance, in some cultures in our world, a man actually is desire. A man being a man is defined by how he nurtures others, not by some of the other traits we may may think of uh, or or desire. There are some points in in, in body in our bodies because men we have an image issue a lot of people say well that's just women no 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 we we're obsessed about how we look as well we're, a man's supposed to look thin and strong and muscular have these images of what we're supposed to be and we strive to have those things we chase after that there's some cultures in period of time where if you were heavy set and big you were hot <laughs> i mean that's like whoa, that's the guy to chase after he's the one and the reason that being is because one they were probably wealthy they had finances. They had insecurity. If you were thin, you had very few resources, and meant you were poor. Now, now in our world today, we, we, we chase after the other. We chase after the thin. We chase after the images. We chase after skinny jeans. We don't. don't why those were ever created, I don't know. But anyway, we chase after things that don't matter. Do you realize? Do you realize that pink? Right, a lot of a lot of people and guys go, "Oh, I'm not going to wear pink. I don't have to do pink. I'm pink because pink is what pink's. Uh, it's it's a, it's a woman thing. It's a female thing. Being pink. My, I had a granddaughter's birthday this past yesterday. Woohoo! She was one, and there was pink. There was pink there. You know what I'm saying? Do you know, realize that pink was associated with males up until 1940? So all of you guys are going, really? Well, I'm too macho to wear pink. Do you realize at some point in our American culture, pink was masculine? But what is our, our culture has flipped it, and now we think, oh, this is, oh, it can't be masculine, right? Our culture is just convinced of those things. And if we chase those things, that, that we end up chasing something we can really never catch. And it, it's really not a way to identify ourselves. And because we believe that God created us, male and female, he designed us to bring him glory and we believe our identity is, is, as a humans is rooted really in him and not our individual preference. Not this is what I want to be. Not this is what I should be But it's in, or, or our opinion, but it is to bring God glory. That's our ultimate goal. Not, not in maybe some of all these other things, but just simply to identify ourselves as one who follows Christ and gives him glory, no matter whether I'm male or whether I'm female. But understand this. Our culture, you know, we, I'm not standing up here and say, let's beat him up with the Bible. Because that's what we're guilty of. And so what I, I want to say is, we need to live in grace. Because we've been given grace. No one here is the perfect male. No one here is the perfect female. All of us require grace. So let us treat the world with grace, with kindness, with understanding May we love people, because you know everybody here today has a different story. Everybody in this room today has a different journey. Everybody in here has a different experience, has a different scar of what it means to be a male. We've seen different images. We've grown up in different homes, both good and bad. And they're all sitting in this room quietly, hidden and tucked away, so no one can see them, right? But the reality that they make us who we are, and it's hard. Because, because we want to shape ourselves to be something different. To be, it's, it's hard because, because there's just so many, so many difficult things we have to deal with. And so please understand this today. As we go through this series in the next two months, this is not to beat anybody up. This is not to bring down upon anybody shame or heartache. It's basically to say, listen, this is a place of imperfect people who have found a perfect savior. And we want you to know his grace to help heal you. And if it's something in your heart and your life that it's like, I, I, for 60 years I've been carrying this, this guilt, I've hidden it, no one knows, and I just need to talk to somebody, I just need somebody to pray over me. I just need somebody, I just need to breathe and let this off. That, that we're here as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to uphold one another. Because we're not always strong in our faith. We're not always strong as people of God. And this is a safe place, amen? This is not a place just to sit and see each other every Sunday and look pretty. It's a place of real people, of real hurt, of real struggles. And this is real. This is not, not just something we make. This is a real struggle for all of us. And so grace is extended. Grace needs to be given in love. In order that we can truly, truly see Christ himself. So let's jump into this, this question, core question. What's a man? I'm sure some of you ladies would like to answer that one, wouldn't you? Biologically, there's a difference, if you haven't noticed yet. We're designed differently. God designed us, males, very, very different. As a matter of fact, it begins in utero, it begins uh, at the basic levels, and basically, a lot of it even deals with our, our, our basal. M- m- I always have trouble with that word, metabolic, basal metabolic rate. <sighs> Got it out. There we go. It's incredible because the males, when we were we are given that, basically we have 6% higher as adolescents. It gets up to 10% after, after we are, uh, go through puberty. And this is what it does. It converts to 50% more muscle, bone mass, ligament strength than a female We're designed, our our muscles become developed and stronger and we have have more strength to us. It's the way we're designed. If you ever wonder why... Boys are always wrestling. If you ever wonder why there's, you know, that, all that energy in those boys, especially if your firstborn was a daughter, and then you have a boy, and you just start freaking out because they're just going crazy. They're jumping off things, they're bouncing off things, they're wrestling. They want to wrestle, they want to hit, they want to do all these things. And we want to just kind of like, stop that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Get down from there. It wears you out just chasing them. All of that is because their bodies have been designed to develop muscle. And guess how they develop muscle? Jumping, running, wrestling, all those things. It's converting. It's a natural energy that is in their bodies that is being used to develop that. That they become strong. They become confident. They become what God has designed them to be. It's an incredible part of watching them grow up and, and, and learn to be who they are. It's just this is strength. That's why people go, hey, can you open this? Why? Because we know that they got a stronger hand. Men, we have larger windpipes, 30% greater lung capacity. However, ladies, please know this was not given to us so that we would talk more. <laughs> All right? We do not, this does not mean God created us to talk more by any means, right guys? You can grunt. It's okay. Just, right? It's not, but it is given to us so we have a larger lung capacity. We have more blood flow in order that Again, why? Because the muscles that we have require increased blood flow in order that there may be strength. This is all a part of his design. We have male testosterone, 50% higher than in women. That testosterone gives us a sex drive we have this sex drive, we're, we're designed it. It's a blessing, it's a gift, it's something that's very, very good and God has given it to us and when that sex drive is in us, God also says, yes, I'm gonna bless you with this in order that you can go forth and multiply, that you can join with your, with your person you love in marriage. Here's it designed, but it is to be used in honor and glory. It's not to be used in any which way you want to. It's a drive that's been given under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be self-controlled and contained in order that we may bring glory to God even in the midst of our sexuality. That God is given honor. This is a good thing. And it's important for us to grasp that, that God has made us as males, as sexual beings, but with accountability. But what does it really mean to be masculine? Again, our culture tells us a lot of things about what men are supposed to be. And here's a few five things five things that, that men are supposed to do, all right? These are, get your pen and pencil out get ready to write these down because these are earth shattering earth shattering here you go one men a real man is not allowed to cry even if they've been shot that's not true real men don't ask for a bathroom break on road trips that may be true real men hold it that's all I can say real men hold it Real men, when they come across a guy who's watching uh, sports on the TV, asks, hey, what's the score? You ever done that before? I have. However, it's wrong to ever ask who's playing because you're a guy. You should already know. Right? Number four, real men pop the hood as soon as the car there's car trouble, take a look at it and go, yep, it's broke. Now, some real men know how to fix it. This real guy does not know how to fix it. And the last thing real men do, they grow beards. By the way, I'm liking yours man. I'm, I'm, it's looking good. It's looking good. Beard's are looking good. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, you know all, all can, you know, it, it is confusing. You know, all we're supposed to be as a man like John Wayne and strong. Fights every battle. So Arnold Schwarzenegger with a body that, that's fit and strong. We work out all the time. Are we supposed to be like Chuck Norris, ready to defend at every action? A little bit of Brad Pitt. So we have a little swab and, and, and uh, mystery about us and so good looking. You combine all those together, and basically, for us real men, we fail. Are mm. real men stoic? Always stable. Are real men, you know, unemotional? Are they dominant? Are they independent? Are they ready to take on every task? Or do real men conquer whatever's in front of them? Do they work a lot, play guitar if they they desire to drink beer, love sports? Do they love cars, tell dirty jokes, cheat on their wives, cover for those who cheat on their wives? This is the picture the culture paints for us. That's one extreme. And then there's others extreme as well that that, that don't even come close to fitting that. It may be all those definitions right there. You go, that's not me. I know computers. I got a small world. I don't meet people a lot. I'm uncomfortable. How can I be a man I can tell you how to be a man because those things don't identify us. Whether it's sports on one end or whether what our body looks like on another end or whether we're in the computers or music or whatever we're into, those things do not identify us as being men. We're bigger than that. We're deeper than that. We're richer than that. And when we allow those things only to identify us, then we find ourselves totally inadequate. But that's what the world wants us to believe. It wants us to believe those things. The reality is you may be here and struggling with all kinds of realities of your own identity. You may be, may be struggling with your, you may be as a male have attraction to other males and you're struggling through that and, and, and you're struggling with that identity. You may be, you may be here today and you, you are just, you're caught up in pornography that you're, it just sucked you in and you cannot get rid of it. You may be here today and you're on, on just this, raised in a, in a family that, this of abuse, you may be just simply numbed and, and just of, of use of all kinds of addictions and we wonder, where have we lost ourselves? Maybe today you're sitting here as a single and going, "Man, I wish I was married." And some of you men may be sitting here today saying, "I wish I wasn't." There's pain in this, but there's hope in this because God does show us and design us who we are to be and today we want to help we want to help bolster you encourage you from right where you're at men and move us to become more as God's designed us to be Genesis chapter 2 let's take a look at that a few words here as we move through the text there's a lot to cover and believe me we are not doing there's sometimes I feel like I can do a text justice and a topic justice. This is not one of them. This is, this is, this is just the, pinnacle, the very top of this iceberg of this whole topic. So much to be talked about. Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now, designed man. He formed Man, out of dirt. This word man dis- described, this word describes how God designed us from the earth itself. It's an earthy word, but it also has this meaning in the Greek actually to carry or to lift. Isn't that interesting? Carry and lift. He designs us as males with a structure strong in order to what? To lift, to carry the weight, the load, the responsibility. He designed us to do what we do. It wasn't by accident. It was intentional. And along with that, man was created first. Now, some of you are going to say, well, does that really matter, Tim? Come on, that's just a new one. No, no, it does matter. It really, really does matter. And let me explain to you why. Because the firstborn, the first male, is, has a unique role and position. Has a unique position specifically in the Hebrew family, but even today. How many of you are firstborn? Right? How many of you would say you carried a lot of weight compared to the youngest? I was the youngest, I know. I didn't carry much weight. It's great. Anyway, anyway, it was wonderful. Listen, what we have here is this, this important role, because the the first, the oldest born son ranked the highest after the father. Is the father... Then the oldest son, he carried the weight of the father's son, the authority of the father. He carried the responsibility to carry out the dad's instructions. So he had to be in close relationship with the father. He had to know the father's heart. He had to know the father's wishes. He had to know what would please the father. It was all upon him. And then when the other siblings came, guess who was held accountable for how the other siblings behaved? The firstborn son. If if one of the younger siblings went off and did something, the father wouldn't go to that younger child. He'd go to the oldest son and go, why did you allow your sibling to do this? My guess is 30, 40 years ago, some of you being the oldest child, got in trouble for what your younger brothers and siblings do without them even blaming you, right? Mom and dad, why did you not stop him? I wasn't there. How, was I, how am I supposed to watch over him? He's crazy or she's you know, doing whatever. How am I supposed to? Do? There's an accountability that comes with that. And, and this is my point. That accountability that God placed on Adam's shoulders is the same on males today. God says, males, you have been created first. Therefore, there is a responsibility placed upon your shoulders that is not on anybody else's shoulders. And it is the shoulders of the responsibility over the church itself. You have the responsibility of the family of God. You have the responsibility of the flock. You have the responsibility, men, to oversee it, to grow, to be leaders in order that you can oversee and love and guide and instruct and demonstrate and to model the grace of God into the community. It has been placed upon us, whether we like it or not, men, and we've also been placed to, as, as over, over the family, responsible for the family. Paul mentions in Ephesians 5 that, that God has placed the responsibility of the care and well-being on us men. And too many have run away from this. Single motherhood is just rising. It's an epidemic in the U.S. Why? Because men are just leaving they're abandoning. They're, they're living out the opposite of what God has called them us to do and to be, chasing after something that they think is this perfect marriage, this perfect place, this perfect woman, this perfect whatever, and in the midst of it, they're destroying home, destroying family, and they are, we are literally walking away from the responsibility that God has placed upon us and will hold us accountable for. And so, he created us, and with that came responsibility. Jump back to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. Follow along if you would. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for you. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. God gave man jobs. Here it is, work. God, notice that, he created Adam, and we read earlier in one, he created him. And then in chapter 2, verse, we see that he placed him in the garden, meaning he moved him. He didn't create him in his eye. He moved him into this new place of a garden. And he said, I want you to work it. I want you to work alongside it. I want you to be responsible for it. I want you to know you have a purpose. And a part of that purpose is work. And engaging in work, it's, it's life, is work. And God, this was good. A lot of people think that work is a part of the fall of man. No, God said it'll just be more complicated. Not that you'll now have work. Work is a part of what we do. And guys, for some of us, you may think that this is it, this is what I do. I get up, I go to work, I come home, I, I work, or I get up and do it again. I do this five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week for some of you, and you work. The problem is this is not the only thing God's designed us to do, but too many times this is men where we find our comfort zone. This is what I can do. I'm providing for my family. I'm being responsible. Yes, but that's not the only thing God designed you to be. He may have designed you with a job to work, but not the being of only about work. He's designed us deeper than that and bigger than that, but he has designed us to work and to participate with God in maintaining that which he created. Notice this, God didn't go, hey, you go take care care of everything, I'm checking out. This was a journey that God and man did together to oversee creation, united working. Now, he also taught him, Adam, to rule. God taught him to rule through the authority over the animals. You notice that God created everything. He created the animals, the birds, the fish, whatever, and then he said, hey, let's name these critters, but let's do it together, and I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you name the critters. And so they, they got together, and the animals came to them and began naming them. Now, you know what happens when you name things, Right? Oh, surely you know what happens when you name things, right? You've gotten, like, if you've ever been raised on a farm and you went out and got a new set of cattle or you got a new set of pigs or a new set of things, and all of a sudden your kiddos or your grandkids go, oh, let's name them. And you give a pig a name. This pig is no longer a pig, it's family, right? You identify with this. Because now it's a part of you because you have spoken a name and have titled it and given it to that. Isn't it amazing how you get connected by simply giving something a name? What do you think God's doing here? God's going, Adam, I need you to connect it to a creation you did not create. I need you in your heart to find a tenderness, a compassion, a caring. I need you to find another part of you besides work. That is valuable to you. And I want you to rule and love and care over these things. I want you to, 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 to guard them. I want you to protect them. I want you to see that they stay healthy, are healthy, remain healthy, and get what they need. I want you, Adam, to be engaged in this creation. And he calls him to learn how to rule because what? He's gonna, right now, Adam's by himself, right? There's no Eve. He's the only one of all creation, he has no one but himself. And so what do you got to do in the midst of only, when there's only one of us, we get pretty what? Selfish. He needed to learn how to care for others. Three, protect. God placed Adam with the task of just keeping the garden. I've kind of spoken about this a little bit. To protect the garden and to know the rules of the garden. How many rules were in the garden? One. How'd Adam do? Not really good. I don't blame him. I'm not, just not an anti-Adam. adam But what I'm saying is this, God gave him the responsibility of knowing his heart, what he put him in the garden to do, and the rules of the garden. Adam, don't eat of this tree. There'll be consequences of a death that you will not, you cannot fathom in your state of innocence. Don't do it. One rule. You are responsible for that rule. Post the rule, memorize the rule, know the rule. And guess what his responsibility was when Eve came? Tell her the rule. You need to know, Eve. Everything out there is just crazy, it's beautiful. I love that you're here. I'm glad that we get to share in this, Eve. But there's a rule, and we got to follow the rule. Now, he may have told her the rule. He probably did tell her the rule. She knew the rule. She'd heard that rule. But he was responsible for it all. You see, it's the same thing. Men... We have responsibility that God has placed upon us with all of our families, with all of our children, with all of our grandchildren, to love them and reveal to them Christ. But but notice something. And and later on in this text, guess who is held accountable after the fall? You can read that on your own. But when God approaches them, guess who he approaches? Adam. But we all know it was Eve. Eve. That was deceived. We all know that it was Eve that took the fruit. We all know that she gave it to Adam and Adam did what every guy would have done, which was take the fruit and join in with his wife. He would have done that. I would have done that. But God did not approach Eve. It wasn't because she was lesser. No. It wasn't that he, she, he loved her less. No. It wasn't that he would. Why? Who was the firstborn? Adam. Guess who's responsible? Adam. Guess who's being held accountable? Adam. Now, th- this just leads to this. In the midst of that weight, because I feel it. I feel it as a husband. I feel it as a grandfather. I feel it in, my, in this world, it's this weight. Like, I don't know if I can live under this weight. And there's fear that comes with that. And as God reveals to me more of what I'm responsible for and accountable for, the more I may want to run. But remember, he gave me a heart to charge. Find that boyish heart in you again. And charge. Because one of the greatest fears we have as men is weightlessness. Yeah, I know, you're like, weightlessness. Yeah, weightlessness. And this is what it means. I'm going to live my life and I will have no impact. I will live my life and, and no one will really care. No one matters. I'm not respected in my workplace. I'm not respected in my home. Oh, my wife loves me, but she doesn't respect me. And believe me, we, we can hear it in small tones. We men, that's our love language, therefore we are finely tuned to hear respect or disrespect. And we can, we can pull it like a needle out of a haystack in a conversation. And it strikes hard and it strikes deep within inside of us. We're scared as men of being disposable. You're not needed. You're not wanted or we're not effective, or if we're fake. And, and I will throw this in, and this, this is not an excuse, but I will say to those young men here, and families here that, that still have children at home, and even to all across the board, but there are many men, we are not comfortable with kids, I mean, some are natural, but not every male is comfortable with kids. We're not comfortable with raising kids. We're not comfortable with changing diapers. We're not comfortable with feeding them. There's so much. I mean, even ladies, you got to admit, there are so much stuff that comes with a baby. It's overwhelming becoming a mom, is it not? It's overwhelming for you. For us guys, it feels so unnatural. It's a box we don't feel designed to be in, but we find ourselves in this box, and it's a great box to be in. But when we get in that box and we bring into that box this insecurity that we have because we don't want to do, we're fumbling over ourselves, and we, we all of a sudden we hear, "Stop that! You're doing that wrong! Don't, don't!" And all of a sudden, what you're going to see is you're going to see a husband and just begin to back off. It's because of this. You're making. We, we are allowing. We're allowing ourselves to be felt as if we don't matter. That I don't need you. I just need you to go work, put money in the bank. Now, it's not across the board. Everything I say is not across the board. We please know that. But it, is, it happens subtly and quietly. So what does it lead to? False dominance. In other words, you make me feel inadequate. I am gonna domineer over you. I'm gonna bully you, I'm gonna yell at you, I'm gonna scream at you because I'm angry, I feel disrespectful, I'm gonna withhold love from you and I am just gonna yell and dominate. That's not a man. But a lot of times we think that's the way we have to function and work and it's not true and we're sinning against our white, we're not protecting any longer, we are attacking and wanna destroy and that is not a healthy place for it to be but that's what fear sometimes drives us to. We also become relational lazy, right? We become checked out of family. We become checked out of our kids and our spouse and our marriages. It happens to her easily. easily. And men, we, we've got, we can't just embrace these things. We may feel them, but we have no excuse to embrace them. If you feel relationally lazy or if you heard your wife go, I just wish you would engage more. That's what she's talking about, guys. That's what she's asking. She's inviting you into her space. And that's a moment you go, you know, I'm gonna step up, I'm gonna engage. I am feel uncomfortable, I'm gonna do it wrong, and you may have to have a conversation. I'm not gonna do it the way you want it to be done, but I still wanna do it. And ladies, please go, I, just do it any way you want to. And together, learn how to do this. We need to embrace how we become these godly men as just simply starts by embracing our weakness we're not perfect men, we're not the strongest in the world, we don't know everything, we can't know everything, the culture moves too quick, the knowledge moves quicker than ever before in the history of the world, there's no way we can keep up with it, and it's okay. But in that weakness, we need to understand we can feel it, we can fill that weakness with simply excuses or with a commitment towards God. God, I need you as a man today. We do. We need him to give us wisdom as men to lead our families. We need wisdom in order to to love our wives. We need God there. But it begins with us embracing weaknesses and follow. Lead by following. Demonstrate to your kids who you follow, Dad. You don't have it all together. Let them know you need Jesus. Let them know as husband and wife you need Jesus. Let them know that your grandma and grandpa... Man, we, we need Jesus because you know what? Our two and three and four and five and eight and 10 and 12-year-olds, guess what they need? Jesus. So let's model that. We're gonna take communion today. We're going prepare for that in our hearts. And we're gonna, we're gonna fade into that by simply making that statement of weakness. All of us have to admit it. All of us need to come to Christ and say, I need you. And this table is about that. This table is about coming around a table, a family table, an imperfect table that's centered around one who is perfect. The oldest, the firstborn, Jesus himself, God's one and only son. And guess what the God's one and only son did? He took upon himself the responsibility of what? The family. He took upon himself our sin. He took upon himself what we did. Why? In order that we could be restored back to him. What a man, what a God. And today we we, we come and we stop and we, we are grateful in our heart for the one who's loved us this much. As we strive, as we approach this table, let's approach it with confidence of a God who loves us and restores us. Let's sing.